gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Did you work today? You worked today, didn't you? I did. Yes. I, I haven't. I didn't drink any yet either. So yet. This is all sober. Well, now's the perfect time to start. Woo-hoo! Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 79 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the longest-running and only podcast providing exclusive coverage of Superman's Bronze Age adventures. As always, this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades, a mainstay of the collected edition market. InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at greatly discounted prices. And most... This is where I screw up because I call it odors. Most orders... Ship within 48 hours, and orders over $50 ship for free. And for an example of their fantastic savings, the books we're talking, or the book we're basically talking about today, is Superman versus Muhammad Ali. In stock trades has both of the reprint versions of the book. Uh, DC put out a hardcover deluxe edition in basically normal comic book size, although the website does say it's at about seven feet by 11 feet. Uh, which is a huge book. Uh, the cover price for the hardcover was 19.99, and they have it for 19. Or no, that's the original price. 19.99 was the original. In stock trades price is 10.99, which is a savings of 45%. Or you could have gotten the facsimile edition hardcover, which basically reprints the story at the full tabloid size. And according to the website, that is 10 feet by 13 and a quarter feet. And that cost you a big 40 bucks if you bought it at cover price, but InStock Trades has it for just $21.99, which saves you 45% yet again. You can get those at InStockTrades.com. And today, like I said, we're going to take a look at the Treasury Special Superman vs. Muhammad Ali, but I ain't doing this alone. 
No, today I've got some help. And I've got another man who stings like... No, he doesn't sting like a butterfly. Well, he stings like a butterfly and sings like a bee. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bradley. Hey, everybody. Yay! Yay. So you don't sting very well if you sting like a butterfly. Probably not, no. No. But if, I'm, you... singing, if I'm singing like a bee... I'm not sure what that means either, so... <laughs> uh, obviously, you're... Clearly, our rhyming skills are not as good as Muhammad Ali's. So. Yeah, well, I'm from the suburbs, so... Um, Michael Bradley joins us, of course, from The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where he gets to talk about the 40s adventures before Muhammad Ali was born. So, that's always cool. How, how are you? How, I already asked you how you're doing, didn't I? How yes, you... I, I'm Great. still good. I'm still great. <laughs> we are just starting this episode fantastically. Um, we are professional podcasters here. Yes, we are. You'd think we were British. We could do the whole show in a British accent. <laughs> there you go. We shall do the rest of the podcast in a British accent. <laughs> I uh, hope that's correct. And we've, lady... just, we've just offended a third of your listening <laughs> audience right now. <laughs> Both Michael and... Andrew Leyland and Stephen Lacey. That's basically a third of my audience right there. <laughs> yep. Pip pip in a cheerio, what not? <laughs> Hello, governor. And other stuff. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so we will be right back after a couple of promos, probably including one for my guest. And like I said, we'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Billions. Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel. 
Steel, and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Uh, now, before we get into the book, let's uh, we'll talk a little bit about the background of the book. Um, this book was put together... God, I don't know how far back they started talking about it. But, of course, uh, Muhammad Ali is one of the most well-known boxers, even to this day. Um, he was and known, first of all, known as... Was it Cassius Clay? Cassius Clay, yes. And he changed his name to Muhammad Ali once he found religion and um, he was a very I guess you could call kind of a loud mouth I would call him um, he came he's the one of course that came up with such phrases as sting like I did it again dang it <laughs> sing like a butterfly and sting like a bee he's the one that always calls himself the greatest and no one really could tell him otherwise he was a great boxer, um, becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. One of the greatest boxers of all time. Exactly. He even beat George Foreman before he had a grill. Um, unfortunately, he's not doing too well so far right now. He's got... Uh, does he have Parkinson's? I believe so, yes. Yes. Um, but uh, back in the 70s, he was but still... I, I, would, I would still not challenge him to a fight. No, 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 no. Even if he is 71 years old, I would not do that. Yeah. Well, one, it looks wrong. Well. <laughs> but, yeah, he he's probably still got a pretty good right hook. I would, I would say, imagine. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as this book goes, they uh, DC Comics, I believe, was the ones that came up with the idea for the story, or for the book. And, of course, they had to meet with Muhammad Ali and his people. It had to go through lots of... I guess you would say approvals, including Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams had to be approved by Muhammad Ali. Um, they eventually came together, got the story put together, but the book suffered a lot of delays. It was originally slated to come out in the fall of 1977, but actually came out in the spring of 1978. So, whoops. Um, by the time... W- the book was published, Muhammad Ali was no longer the heavyweight champion of the world because he had been he had lost to Leon Spinks in February of 78 so the delay kind of messed that up fortunately he did win the title back in September of 78 but you know you can see the confusion it also helps out that this was a good timing for Superman as 1978 would have been the part of the 40th anniversary celebration of Superman as well as being the year that the Superman movie came out. So I guess it kind of works in its favor that it was delayed a little bit. The cover, drawn by Neil Adams, was originally going to be co- uh, drawn by Joe Kubert. And he, when he drew it, he basically drew Superman versus Muhammad Ali in a ring surrounded by this huge crowd of people. Neil Adams came in and redrew it, but this time replaced a most of the crowd with celebrities not just real life celebrities but also celebrities from like the comics such as uh, Wonder Woman and Batman and Green Lantern showing up as well as current celebrities at the time like Johnny Carson Tony Orlando, Lucille Ball the Jackson 5 the cast of Welcome Back Cotter 
And there's even a cameo appearance of Christopher Reeve. Ironically, if you look at it, he actually looks more like Clark Kent. So that's kind of interesting. Where's he at? He is um, down at the bottom. Do you know where Johnny Carson is? On the back cover? Front cover. Front cover. Mm-hmm. Flipping the book over. Between Muhammad Ali's legs. Okay. I know that sounds wrong. Um, if you look down near the ring, well, Johnny Carson's right at the ring. In the, with the pink tie? Purple tie? Yep. Okay. Yep. Purple, and uh, right on his his left shoulder, the guy with the glasses. Oh, okay. That's supposed to be Christopher Reeve. It does look like Clark Kent. So basically I'm thinking he drew him as Christopher Reeve, but it was basically when he's dressed up as Clark Kent. But isn't Clark Kent also supposed to be in the audience? You know, that's a good question. Hold on, let me look. There's a handy-dandy checklist. Man, Dead Man's in there. Wally Wood. Yeah, there's comic professionals in there, too. Sergio Aragones, I guess is how you say his name. Howard Chaikin, Walt Simonson, Alan Alan Weiss. Uh, I apparently was mistaken. I don't see Clark Kent on the list. Nope. Maybe seeing Christopher Reeve there all this time. Made you think it was. Yes. Then again, how would they have Clark Kent there if Superman's in the ring? Obviously, it's a Clark Kent robot. Ah, good point. But, had you been following the show, you would know that they decommissioned the robots way back in the early 70s due to pollution. (laughs) I I, I don't listen to the show, so... (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) But you know one glaring omission. What's that? Kara Zor-El. Ooh, yes, Supergirl is not in here. Batgirl's in here. Mm Mm-hmm. But Supergirl's not. What the heck's up with that? Obviously, she was she was away in space on another mission and could, could not be. be reached. Although Batman does show up, and you know how well he loves to be in public. Yes. Um. Yeah. Let's see. They even man. They do have Alfred is there. Where is Alfred? This is riveting podcasting, folks. I apologize, but I am curious as to where Alfred is. He is... 95. Number 95. Oh, there he is. Way in the back. Yep. Okay, and all the heroes are there in their uh, secret identities. Except Plastic Man. Well, yeah. What's the point? And the Metal Man. I was going to say, I see a Metal Man. I see all the Metal Men. And I think Martian Manhunter. And Billy Batson. And... They've they've even got people from the other companies, folks. I believe they don't say it on the in the information, but I'm guess I'm thinking that the guy on Johnny Carson's other shoulder, next to Christopher Reeve, might be Stanley. Yeah, I've I've wondered that too. If you look at the chart inside the front cover, there are several people that aren't numbered and aren't identified. But then when you look yeah. at the front, they're clearly based on somebody. Yes. So. And, and there, there are people from all, uh, all over the comics. Uh, Flo Steinberg is in this. She's actually um, listed on here, and she was, of course, really big with Marvel comics. Uh, you can clearly spot Julie Schwartz. I wonder, huh. I wonder if they had to get um, permission from the people that they put on the cover. Yeah, and if they probably. couldn't get permission, they just didn't identify them. Yeah, because you know, you would. I guess Marvel guys wouldn't want to be identified on a DC Comics cover. Right. No matter how popular it might be. Uh, the Beatles are on here. That's cool. Even Yoko. 
But you know what? There's a lot more to this story than just the cool cover. But anyway, as we were saying, there are... While we're still on the cover, though, I do want to point out that Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster are there in the audience. Yes, they are. Makes me very happy to see them get the the cameo. This is still right before they they started getting the credit for creating Superman, though. Um... Well, at least in this book. Uh, this is around the time... Actually, I think they were... They, yeah, the credit was showing up in the main comics. It's just it's not in this book. Yeah, that was restored, I want to say, spring of 76. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right, 76. Because I know I've read comics from 76. Yeah, the, the book's cover dated um, July 1976. Superman okay. 301 and Action Comics 461. Well, thank you. I mm. didn't have to look that up. But yeah, there's... Anyway, there's 172... Named celebrities on this cover, and which you know, I would say George Perez would have to work hard to do that, and um, that's just the ones that are identified. Like we, like both of us were saying, there's a few in here that aren't identified, but you can clearly tell they're based on somebody, just because of how they're posed. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that's Stanley, but uh, anyway. <clears throat> on with the story itself. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up my notes. This is... Uh... I think that on the credits, I think it was a while before they started putting Siegel & Schuster's credit on everything because I don't think their credit was ever restored in the World's Finest stories. And World's Finest ran until... Really? I, I don't think. I, I would have to go look at the like the final issues, but I know it wasn't restored in World's Finest at the same time it was in Superman in Action. Hmm. So it might have been a while before they started put it, putting it on the, you know, every appearance. Good point. But anyway. I, I'd have to look. Of course, I don't have access to any of my World's Finest comics. Oh, 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 oh. But, but Charlie not is... Not that kind. Charlie is correct. They are not credited in the book, but thankfully they appear on the but, cover. Yes, they very clearly appear on the cover. As they should. Mm-hmm. Now... The the Muhammad story the bleh. and that's that. Superman versus Muhammad Ali is a story by Denny O'Neill, uh, with a script based on the story plus pencils by Neil Adams. The inkers were Dick Giordano on figures and Terry Austin on backgrounds. And there's probably more inkers. There generally are with these larger, big books, but. These are the only guys listed. The letterer was Gaspar Saladino. The colorist is Corey Adams. And the editor was Julie Schwartz. And even though it doesn't say it in the book, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So Corey Adams, is that Neil's wife? That is a good question. Why do you ask this now? (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've now that we're recording, Corey Adams. Let's see if anything comes up. Well, there's a photographer named Corey Adams. There's a lot of Corey Adams, so I have no idea. Okay. But I, uh, I would imagine. In fact, there's a rugby player in Australia for New South Wales. Hi, Steve uh, Eunice, who probably doesn't listen to this either. Um, uh, this would have been worked on probably mostly through Neil Adams' Continuity, I believe it's called Continuity Studios. Yes. 
so it's very possible that Corey Adams could be a wife or a son or a cousin or an uncle, someone in the family. That very much makes sense. It's not one of the typical DC Comics colorists that you would have heard of from this time. Uh, most of the Superman stuff especially was being colored by like Jerry Serpy and Glenn, uh, Gene D'Angelo and Adrian Roy. So, yeah, that, so, yeah, this is definitely someone from Neil's studio. Which, actually, Corey does a good job with the coloring. It looks pretty good for the most part. Yes. As far as colors go. And then they completely redid it in the reprint. And then they completely redid it in the reprint. And who has credit for it in the reprint? Let's look. Let us look as we open up our nice hardcover. Not big enough to kill a vagrant. Colors, on the cover anyway, are by IR Colorer, (laughs) (laughs) which they misspelled because there's a U in it, some people. Maybe he's British. Okay, fine. And um, he had a... This is why I brought you on here, to be the voice of reason. And um, Moose Bauman. If I'm the voice of reason, we're all in trouble. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it looks like those are the at least those are the ones given color, uh, yeah, cover credit. But um, I would imagine they're also the ones that recolored the whole book. They definitely recolored it and gave it that digital facelift. So I've been, I'm googling here the IR colorer, and apparently that's the only credit for that person. And there's I'm trying to bring up the site. There's a question about who. That is exactly. <laughs> it's probably Corey Adams, and they're just not allowed to give him credit, or Could maybe be. it's Stanley. <laughs> Stanley, yes. So after all this preamble, we should probably get in to look at the actual story. Now this is a uh, extra-sized issue, so this synopsis could take a little longer than what we're used to. But, but it's a really good story. It's a really good story, so please bear with me. But first, I need to take a drink because I can tell you right now I'm going to need it. And don't worry, it's water. I will not be slurring any more than usual through the synopsis. Okay. Our story begins in in a metropolis ghetto on a hot, steamy August afternoon. Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, and Clark Kent are looking for someone and are following a tip from one of Jimmy's sources that the individual in question is in the area. After the two senior reporters heckle Jimmy for what's seems to be a wild goose chase, Jimmy finally spots the man in question, Muhammad Ali, currently playing basketball with some of the inner-city kids. The reporters head in for an interview when Jimmy realizes that he forgot to load the film into his camera. It doesn't matter, though, as things are interrupted pretty quickly by the sudden appearance of an ugly green alien that has stolen Rachel Gould's hairdo standing on a floating platform. Lois heads in to interview the alien, but he merely slaps her away. Ali demands he apologize to her, only to get slapped himself. But you just don't do that to Muhammad Ali, and Ali retaliates with a punch to the midsection that knocks the alien off of his platform. Clark then leaves to summon the authorities, but instead of doing that, he actually ducks into another alley nearby and changes to Superman. Thinking that the alien would not act so arrogantly if he didn't have backup nearby, Superman zooms out to space to check out the situation and sees an alien armada in Earth orbit. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, the alien identifies itself as a member of the Scrub. 
the most savage, warlike people in their galaxy. Apparently, on their homeworld, the people are, of Earth are known as the most savage, warlike people in this galaxy, with Muhammad Ali being one of the best. So, a test is proposed, a fight between Earth's champion and the scrub champion, according to Earth boxing rules. Because, you know, why not? When Ali declines, the alien uses the armada as a threat, at which point Superman arrives to lend credibility to the threat. When Superman asks why the Scrub are doing this, the alien explains that they believe that the people of Earth may one day pose a threat to the Scrub Empire. And at this point, Superman and Ali have a bit of an argument over who should be the one to participate in the fight, when Ali points out that they should be arguing with the alien, not amongst themselves. At least one of them has a level head. However, as punishment for laying hands on him, the alien uses a remote to order the destruction of a city on Earth. Quicker than the eye can follow, Superman takes off to save the day. He spots two large missiles being fired from one of the spaceships. But when he tries to intercept them, he passes right through them. They are plasma missiles, and Superman's mass isn't great enough to stop them. But, as it turns out, St. Louis, their target, should be able to stop them just fine. But since that would destroy the city, Superman whips up a giant vortex to guide the missiles halfway across the country and allow them to detonate in the Atlantic Ocean. But the explosion causes a giant tidal wave that threatens to drown Bermuda. So, with all the strength he can muster, Superman slams his fists together, which causes a great sonic boom that cancels out the wave. Meanwhile, the Scrub Emperor uses this as an example of Earth's destructive power and orders the launching of two more of those plasma missiles. These may uh, actually reach their target before Superman can get to them, destroying an uninhabited island in the Pacific. With proof of their threat, Superman agrees to the fighting contest in order to prevent the destruction of the planet, and after hearing about the island, Ali also agrees. However, since only one of them can fight the Scrub Champion, it's decided that Superman and Ali will fight each other to decide who will re represent Earth, because we don't have enough fighting already. So the alien finalizes the challenge. The two will meet in combat in 24 Earth hours at a place of the Scrub choosing, in a place that will nullify Superman's powers and make the two, of the, the two men equals. Should they refuse, Earth and its inhabitants will be reduced to a smoldering pile of radioactive dust. So the alien takes his leave, as do Ollie and Superman, who apologizes to Jimmy for not staying for a photo, but they don't have time to wait for him to reload his camera. Soon, while Lois goes on to WGBS to update the world on what has been happening, Superman and Ollie head to the fortress, so Superman can learn the sweet science. To do that, Superman builds his own boxing ring around a Kryptonian con Wow, I can't say that. Superman builds his own boxing ring around a Kryptonian continuum disruptor which will transport them to the fringe of creation, where time crawls, meaning that the 24-hour ultimatum will actually be stretched out for them to two months, giving Superman more time to learn. Moreover, Superman has a fragment of a red sun suspended in a lead box. I don't know how you have a fragment of a red sun, but he does. And it nullifies Superman's powers and puts the men on more equal footing. As they get started with the lesson... Back on Earth, the Soviets run out of patience. Remember, this is the 70s, so the Soviet Union is still a major power. And they fire missile at missile. They fire missiles at the alien armada. But they harmlessly explode against a force field. This really ticks off the scrub emperor, Ratlar, who breaks in on all communications to tell them that if they try something like that again, he will order a full-scale attack. 
Shortly after that, the scrub detects Superman and Ollie's time trick and send down three robots to collect the duo. While Ali keeps them preoccupied, Superman closes the lead box over the Red Sun fragment and with the return of his powers, quickly makes short work of the two robots, which is redundant because short work would obviously be quickly, I'm going to keep going. Before they can go after the third robot, it reminds them that the planet will be annihilated if they do not return to the scrub ship at once. Upon their arrival, Ratlar reveals that the fight with Superman will be an even match because it will take place on the scrub home planet of Bodachi, which orbits a red sun. They are then introduced to the scrub champion, Hunya. I don't know where they came up with these names, but these are the weirdest names. Scrub, Bodachi... Maybe, maybe they think Charlie and Michael are weird names. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but Hunya? Uh, it's like, hun, yup. Anyway, uh, they're introduced to the scrub champion, Hunya, and a creature created in a lab to be the perfect warrior, complete with an uber-tough skin and enough strength to dent the walls of the ship. When our heroes act unimpressed, Retlar begins to get really upset. Then he explains that representatives of every intelligent race will be brought to Bodachi, to Bodachi, and an interstellar television network will broadcast the fight throughout the universe. Still acting unimpressed, the heroes are led to their quarters while Ratlar loses his cool. At this point, Ali explains that sometimes a fight is half won before you even strap on your gloves, if you can rattle the opponent enough to make him too mad to use his smarts. However, Superman's powers have detected a problem that may even be too much for his powers, so they need to try to hash out a plan of action. Soon, the, plan the planet Bodachi is the site Hold on, I can't scroll and read at the same time. Soon, the planet Badachi is the site of the most massive migration of the history of the universe, as alien beings from all throughout the galaxy arrive to witness the big fight, including a cameo by Adam Strange and his girl, Alana. On the planet itself, we see that Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen have been chosen to cover the event for the interplanetary broadcast, with Jimmy selected as the main announcer, even though Howard Cassell can clearly be seen in the crowd. Soon, the fighters are announced. On one side we have Superman, with his trainers O.J. White, of the U.S. Olympic team, and Perry White, a former Golden Glove finalist, which apparently Jimmy didn't know, and Perry was surprised about that. As the fight begins, oh wait, huh, I skipped ahead. On the other side is Muhammad Ali, with his trainer, Andalo Dundee, uh, who has a knife, I guess, his manager, Herbert Muhammad, and his cornerman, Bundini Brown. And I hope I'm saying those names right, because I don't know any of them. I think they're correct. It's Angelo. Not Angelo. But... Oh, good. I have a misspelling. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the rest fantastic. are correct. And they're all dead okay. anyway. So. Oh, they are? Yeah. That's sad. Okay, well, it doesn't matter, because Angelo is not in any more of the book after this, so I don't really need to say, worry about saying his name again. Anyway, <clears throat> as the fight begins... And thank you, by the way. As the fight begins, Ali makes the first move, and soon finds himself fighting, well, himself, as Superman uses all that Ali taught him to basically make himself a Kryptonian version of Ali. As the second round begins, Superman goes on the offensive, and things immediately go bad for the Man of Steel, and Ali cuts him short and basically begins pounding on Superman, allowing him only one chance for a punch, which misses. 
With his face battered and bruised and the blood flowing freely, Superman refuses to go down. But since nothing short of a clean knockout will satisfy the rules of this fight, Ollie has no choice but to keep hitting Superman. Eventually, Ollie refuses to keep hitting Superman and walks away, which makes the crowd go wild. Soon, the ref declares Ollie the winner anyway, despite the fact that that wasn't supposed to be allowed, at which point Superman finally collapses to the mat. Some of the aliens move in to help Superman, but Ollie refuses to allow them to help him because they haven't earned the right. Soon, Superman's unconscious form is taken away on a stretcher, and by the time Jimmy, Lois, and Ratlar reach Ollie's quarters, Superman is being brought out in an oxygen tent, and Ollie explains that he's in critical condition and needs to be sent back to Earth, where hopefully the Yellow Sun might be able to help him heal. The next morning, Superman is shipped back to Earth in an antique rust bucket of a ship, which is met by 10,000 scrub soldiers saluting the takeoff, even though Ratlar would be outraged if they knew they were there. After all, he took the fight like a man, and they respect that. Although their definition of a man is a little different, but that's not the point. Anyway, that night, Ali returns to the ring for the main event, his fight with Hunya. Before the fight can begin, the glowing ethereal, ethereal, ethereal form of the goddess Athene arrives to moderate the fight. Since Ali has been pretty good in the past at picking which round he will win in, Ratlar forces Ali to pick on this fight by threatening him with the destruction of Earth, which is a recurring theme. Ali picks the fourth round and then goes on to one of his famous I am the greatest speeches, complete with Ali photos in the background. Meanwhile, we found we find Bondini Brown running around as if following some kind of directions. After taking out two guards, he spots his goal, the camouflage disruptor, but fails to spot a third soldier sneaking up from behind. Back at the fight, round one begins with Ali making a few quick jabs and trying to get into Hunya's head before the alien fighter connects with a powerful punch, powerful enough to daze the champ, and then... The fight seems to be a repeat of the previous one, but this time Ali's on the receiving end of the pounding. Just as Ali appears to be about to go down, the round ends, saved by the bell. With victory practically inevitable, Rat Lar orders his armada orbiting Earth to prepare to fire their missiles. While all this has been going on, Brown has taken down that third guard, but has taken too long doing so, and he quickly runs up the stairs into the control room and knocks out both of the guards with one flying kick then removes his mask to reveal that he is Superman in disguise. Wondering how the doctors on Earth reacted when they went to examine Superman only to find Bundini Brown in a Superman suit. We also learned that by using his telescopic vision and other powers, he was able to examine and memorize every important thing about the complex before the Red Sun nullified his powers. Then, imitating Ratlar, he orders the Armada to return to Badachi at warp speed. As Superman makes his way to the hangar to commandeer a ship, round two of the fight is continuing where round one left off, but this time Ali does go down, but he gets back up before the count can be completed. As the round ends, Ratlar makes a proposition to Ali, since he is just about to lose anyway. If the Earth governments agree to deed the people of Earth to be scrub slaves, Earth will be spared. This lights a fire within Ali, and he goes on the offensive against Hunya, connecting several blows while the alien just keeps missing. 
Retlark checks on the status of the Armada and is outraged to find that they're heading home and quickly orders them back to Earth. Meanwhile, entering our system is an experimental spacecraft chosen for its great speed. And once outside of the Red Sun's influence, Superman busts out of the front of the speeding ship, not just overtaking it, but leaving the ship in the proverbial dust. Once the Armada spot him, they begin attacking, and Superman finds that he just or that he can't just punch his way through their force fields. So he backs off quite a ways and flies full force underneath one of the ships, not only busting through the force field, but then using a reinforced hatch to bust completely through one of the ships and then hurling it like Captain America's shield to disable another before he's hit by a powerful blast. Back on Badachi, Ali finally hits Hanya with a wind-up punch that knocks the alien right out of the ring. But before the victory celebration can begin, Ratlar declares that the fight was won by trickery and that Earth will soon be nothing but a bad memory. Ratlar then activates a projection to show everyone Earth's destruction, only to be surprised to see Superman fighting the Armada. With the crowd watching, Superman figures out how to take all the ships out at once. First, he has to take the force of several shots until the ships all line up to try to take out Superman all together at one time. At this point, Superman makes his move, literally flying through and disabling all of the ships at once. While Superman's unconscious form floats in space, Ratlar declares that it was just one battle that he's won, and prepares to order the remaining scrub fleet to Earth to destroy it. Now, upset by Ratlar's double-cross and inspired by Superman's sacrifice, Hanya smashes Ratlar's floating chair, sending him crashing to the mat. Ratlar orders his arrest but the guards stand unmoving, as though they had not heard the order. Hanya tells Ratlar that he is a coward, and since the whole thing has been televised, he has brought disgrace and shame to the scrub throughout the galaxy. Several hours later, Superman's body is collected by a scrub ship, and still later, he comes too, surrounded by Lois, Jimmy, Ali, and Hanya. Hanya explains that Ratlar has his people, had his people convinced that Earthlings were dishonorable and warlike, but that this contest has proven to them that they are honorable and self-sacrificing. So they deposed Ratlar, and with that, Jimmy and Olson, Jimmy and Olson, mm -hmm. and with that, Jimmy and Lois sign off their broadcast. Days later, on Earth, Superman and Ali meet up in the office. No, they don't. Uh, days later on Earth, Superman and Ali meet up in order to give some exposition. We learn that back when Superman stopped the tidal wave, his superhearing picked up Ratlar stating that it was an example of the destructive power of Earthlings. This tipped him off that no matter who won the contest, Ratlar was going to destroy Earth. When their training session convinced him that Ali would, be, would win their fight, which is surprising since, you know, Ali's been a fighter for years and Superman didn't know what he was doing, Superman spent the trip to Badachi memorizing the layout so he could complete the plan later as Boudini. At this point, Ollie reveals that he knows that Superman's Clark Kent. He figured it out when he and Superman flew off to the fortress and Superman stated that they didn't have time to wait for Jimmy to load his camera. The only ones who knew that the camera wasn't loaded were Clark, Lois, Jimmy, and himself. And since Superman wouldn't risk spoiling the film with his x-ray vision, and Clark was the only one still not there, he was able to figure it out. And thus the story ends with our hero shaking, hand and shaking hands and Ali declaring that they are the greatest. Yay! Thank you. Your turn. <laughs> uh, 
this is a I love this book. Yes, it's awesome. It I, it's hard to compare this to, you know, uh, uh, it's it's big, dumb, stupid fun. So it's hard to compare it to something like Superman for All Seasons or uh, to keep it in the Bronze Age. Um, who took the super out of Superman? You know. But, yeah, this is like a summer blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah, but so so given that, I don't know that I would really say it's in my top ten Superman stories, but. It's just something that makes me happy every time I read it, and I'm really happy that you would let me come on and cover it with you. Oh, hey, no problem. I mean, you threatened me, but it's all right. Oh. Just... <laughs> <laughs> shh, shh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sure I'll cut that out. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> so you got notes? Oh, you want me to, like, do all my notes first, and then you, or do you want to go through together. Well, I figured we could go by page by through the pages, but I figured I'd let you start because oh, okay. I've talked a well, My lot. first note isn't until page two. No, neither is mine. All right, then. All right. Um, well, pages two and three, the, the big opening splash, I really love this splash. Um, it's a testament to Neil Adams that every person on this page, there's real character in their faces, even though they have no dialogue and they're, they're really only scene setters, but they feel like real people rather than just faceless city dwellers. Yes, they, everyone's got a different look to their face. Yeah. It all completely looks realistic. The two guys in the center look like they're holding hands just because of the way they have, their arms are placed. But other than that, it just looks pretty cool. Yeah. And the guy on the left with the orange shirt, he's going on about some story, complaining about something. His friend couldn't be less interested, and he's busy <laughs> checking out the, the, the hot mom with the kid that's about to run into the woman because – He's staring at the little toy whale there. And then you've got the woman over there picking out fruit and the board guy coming out of the store. Like I said, every character or every person here has a character to them, even though they're not really characters. Mm -hmm. And there's a kid in the background with a basketball Mm -hmm. that looks like there's someone taking a nap. Um, Well, you can just see his legs. Maybe he's a homeless guy. This is supposed to be the inner city ghetto, so, you know. And There's a guy way down at the front, which you know, just walking around smoking a cigarette. You can see trash and messed up buildings and trash cans, traffic. There's even people across the street. There's billboards. There's birds. There's antennas on the top of the buildings. I mean, you would think George Perez did this. Mm-hmm. And you have the Hotel Excelsior, which I can't help but wonder if it's not oh. a reference to Stanley. Huh. I'm betting that really was him on the cover then. Oh, it has to be. It looks like Stan Lee. Now, I can't tell what that... I'm guessing that's supposed to be a perfume that's on that billboard right above Clark Lois and Jimmy. SWN. Oh, is that what it, that's what, is that what it that's is? That's what it says. SWN. Oh. It looks like butt dance. Which is translation... Which is... Oh, okay. You're Okay, okay. I'm looking at... The, I think we're looking at different... Okay, oh, never mind. we could be. I'm looking at the billboard directly above Clark, Lois, and Jimmy. Oh. With the lady smiling at us. Oh, okay. Not on the hotel. Um, yeah, that one, uh, that one I can, yeah, SWN. Okay, that's good. <laughs> you had me scared there. It looks like but she's the one... holding a microphone, like one of the old-time Yeah, I can't tell. It's like an old-time microphone. Maybe it's a person or a... I not, don't know. I am not Googling butt dance. No. No. <laughs> No, all you can see, it looks like B-U, maybe a T. Yeah. It's cut off. 
and D-A-N-Z, and there's another letter that's also cut off. Listeners, Google that for us and get back to us. Yes, yes. Uh, just write it in to superbronze1970 at gmail.com, and I will read it on the air. But don't do it at work. Yeah, don't do it at work because who knows what you'll pull up. But, you know, you're, you're mentioning this whole this thing with this little uh, fruit stand or whatever, and it's got all the prices. Uh, they've got just imported caviar for 19.95 a pound. They've got guana. Or, I'm sorry, guava. Guana. Um, the swimming whale costs $2. It's just, it's just, I mean, even the sidewalks have cracks. Yeah, there's just a lot of detail for That's what awesome. is basically a scene setter. Mm-hmm. But Terry, if Terry Austin did do the backgrounds, he's really good at adding stuff to the backgrounds too. I'm not saying that all of it is him, but mm-hmm. uh, he's he was especially back at this point. He was the one that did a lot of the background inking. The, uh, the one of the reprint editions, which I'm sure Charlie will talk about later, reprinted some of the original pencils, but this isn't one of them, unfortunately. So. Yeah, that would be nice to see. Maybe because it gives it away too much. That or maybe Neil Adams sold it. Could be. I can see people. Well, which is which would be kind of interesting considering there's technically, I mean, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy are kind of there, but they're so tiny. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, moving on to page four, I like that Lois, who has been a wet blanket about tracking down this quote merely decent story, but when they actually find him, <laughs> she's the first one to jump out and try to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Good old Lois. Um, moving on to page six. Do you have anything before? Oh, wait. I had a note. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. We're on. Okay. Here we are in Metropolis in the ghetto. I find it hard to believe that Muhammad Ali would be able to be playing with some kids without attracting more attention. Yeah, I can see that. But at the same time... I would think there would be some news people around just to get a story either from him or him or a story about him with the inner city youth or something. Yeah. It just seemed a little strange that he they would have he would be completely off of everybody's radar. Yeah. I'm willing to move past it for the sake of the story, but I but oh, I yeah. definitely understand the complaint. Yeah. And can I also say that I am a I'm a huge fan of Kurt Swan and I'm also a huge fan of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez praise be his name both of whom had drawn these characters before but this is some of the best looking Jimmy, Lois, and Clark you've ever seen Mm -hmm. in comic form that's all (laughs) yeah I mean I I love Kurt Swan as well and uh, Garcia Lopez no slight to them at all but I don't think either one of them would have been the right choice for this book. No. This was... No. Yeah. Um, page... Moving on to page... I don't have anything for page five. So, moving on to page six. We're only on page six, and Muhammad Ali just punched an alien. I, I don't know how you <laughs> cannot love that. That is pretty freaking amazing. And, and he seems to not have any problem with the fact that he's talking to an alien. No. No. I mean, I know. Ali punches him. <laughs> I know it's the DC universe, and there's plenty of aliens flying around. Superman being one of them, but I would still imagine that it would be kind of a shock to be meeting a Superman, or a Superman, an alien, especially one that looks like um, 
Rachel Ghoul with Jay Leno's chin. But in green skin. Yeah. Well, okay, so he looks like a a, a, a scroll with Rachel Ghoul's hair. That's all. Uh but yeah, the, he ha- he has no problem with it just and it's a good punch. <laughs> oh yeah. He goes flying off that platform. It's awesome. And then Clark's like, oh, excuse me, uh, I'll summon the proper authorities. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> Thanks, Clark. You handle that. And we get a nice shirt rip at the bottom of the page, too, which I really That is a beautiful shirt rip. One of the few where you actually get to see the cape, too. Mm-hmm. When an, an early episode when you were on and talked about the voice that we heard when we were reading, like, Golden Age Tales and stuff, normally uh-huh. normally when I talk, when I read Bronze Age Tales, I don't really hear a voice for Superman but when okay. I read this panel Bud Collier yes yes because he actually says the line this looks like a job for Superman right yeah mm-hmm. and the yeah I can totally see that um, pages 7 and 8 you know as villains go the scrub are pretty shallow I mean they're a warrior race so they want to fight other races that they deem as equally savage not a lot of depth there but it absolutely works within the book I mean they, they never make any pretense that this is going to be a dense multi-layered character driven plot it's, it's all about a fun time with Superman and fighting and then teaming up with Muhammad Ali who even though his career was you know starting to decline a little bit at this point he was still absolutely one of the biggest athletes in the world so. oh yeah this is this was an era before Michael Jordan yes. and Joe Montana and some of the big names you have today like Kobe Bryant and stuff. He was the name of sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought in the, maybe even bigger than the ones you named were, and well, probably not Michael Jordan, but I, I can't think of any athlete today that has a popularity that is as high as Ali in his prime. And granted, I don't really follow sports that much, but... <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any either. Anyone that would be even approaching his popularity would have a lot of people who don't like stuff he does or whatever. Well, Ali had his fair share of those, too. Well, but... yeah, but I'm saying... You know, he uh, Ali still had a lot of fans that liked him, and I'm not sure that any of the... I'm not. I don't know if I'm put, saying this right, but I don't know if any of the athletes today are as favorably uh, popular right. as he is here. His he was at this point. Right. Uh, the bottom of page eight. I love this bit. You mentioned it in your synopsis where <laughs> Superman and Ali are arguing, and then Ali stops and says, "Hey, why are we arguing? He's the bad guy." <laughs> I know. Uh, it's nice that he's the voice of reason. Yeah, it's a great. Movie. Yeah. Uh, on this page, what always what what got me when I was reading through it, if you look at panel two, Superman flies in, and for some reason, even though, if you think about this, this is Superman who's been a Superboy since he was about he's been doing this since he was eight, and obviously trained a little bit before. He's come back down from space, but when he lands in this little basketball court, he has to bust into the ground. <laughs> Now, this man knows how to fly and knows how to land gingerly, and he's just damaged an inner-city basketball court. Right. Uh, just, yeah. 
That's just mean. It is kind of an awkward landing. Yeah. I, I do like, though, yeah. that they had, like, three images of him. They don't do, they don't do that in modern comics. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. either one image or a blur, which, you know, they like, maybe, they like to Maybe in Flash. Well, maybe in Flash, yeah. But that's Flash. They're trying to get his speed. Superman, you don't see that. No. I completely agree. Um, moving on to pages 10 to 13, we have a nice action sequence here with Superman stopping the, the missiles and then having to turn around and stop the tidal wave caused by, well, stopping the missiles. Um, if I'm going to be completely honest, I, I don't think it's... Somehow my notes got... <laughs> well, at least you don't think it's something. Hang on. You can, Take you, your time. You can edit this out. Probably not, but okay. No, I will. Probably. Maybe. Okay. If I'm going to be completely honest, I don't think that this is Adams at his best. I mean, he's he's done much more dynamic work in the past, but that shouldn't be construed as, as me saying the art is bad, because it's definitely not. And even on his worst day, Adams outshines a lot of other artists. It's just that I don't think the art here is necessarily his best work. Yeah, I I would agree. Basically from say 10 and 11 especially it just looks a little off Mm -hmm. like maybe there is some uncredited penciling helping out or um, maybe Giordano had to do a little more inking than he normally would and it just didn't mesh very well or something Yeah. even though their styles mesh very well but also as we were talking about off the air before we started recording, if you look at the pencils that they reprinted in the, in the reprint edition, they're very, very loose, which means the inkers would have had to do a lot more heavy lifting. So that could explain why this isn't as quintessential Neil Adams as I might be expecting. Right, and it's also possible, completely possible, that there's other someone else inking at this point, too. Definitely. Just because the... I mean, I've, I've learned that with anything... in dealing with this continuity continuity studios both in um the original Spider-Man versus Superman team up um in this and uh even in the Man of Steel miniseries just because it says that Dick Giordano was inking does not necessarily mean that Dick Giordano was inking. Hmm. That's too bad. Uh, yeah. I think um was it um Mike Bailey had said that look uh, uh turns out uh, Frank Springer I think did a lot of the inking on Man of Steel. Hmm. But I mean I'm not I'm not saying that this isn't Dick Giordano cuz I have no proof, but some of the figure work and the looks on some of the on Superman's face it does look a little weird as if it was a different inker. Yeah. I will say, though, and and I'll point this out more as we get into the pages where I I really liked it, Um, he did a really good job on Ali's likeness throughout throughout most of the book. Yes. And I know there was probably a lot of pressure from Ali and his people to get that likeness correct. Oh, yeah. But just all through the book, it's it's like Ali could have walked right off the page, but yet it's not photo-referenced. No. There are a a few poses that look... It looks like they got reused a few times. Yeah, but f- even uh, even the ones that would have to be drawn without having photo reference to use for a particular look, he still looks like Ali. Mm-hmm. 
you have anything else? I don't, I don't uh, want to jump ahead of you. That's why oh, no problem. Uh, my note is, next note is on 14. That's where I'm going to. Okay. Page 14, I liked the trash talk between Ollie and Superman. It It isn't my favorite moment of the book, but definitely one of them. I mean, trash talking was a big part of boxing, or it still is, I guess, a big part of boxing, and Ollie loved getting that psychological edge on his opponent. So it's, mm-hmm. it's completely natural that they would launch into this kind of back and forth, even if it seems maybe a little bit out of character for Superman. But I can totally go with it because it's Muhammad Ali. Yes, and it, it should have actually. I would think it would have struck Superman as kind of crazy that Ali's sitting here saying, "You know what? I'm going to whoop you, yeah. but not too bad." And this is before anyone mentions the whole evening the playing field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't care how good of a boxer Muhammad Ali is, if Superman's got his powers, he's not going to lose to a human. No. Straight up. Unless Ali's got something in his gloves to help him out. Again, that would nullify things or whatever, even the odds. If you go straight from of Ali with no help at all, just his normal fighting, and Superman with his power, Superman could just stand still and win. Yes. So. He's been a working out yeah yeah I hope you did the whole push the thing you, you up have because, to do that you can't see yeah. it because it's an audio <laughs> podcast but yes I did the whole yes. oh thank god <laughs> all right that was actually that was pretty much my note for 14 as well so we all can right. move right along page 16 this page and I didn't have time to pull the book out but it remind the camera angles and the the just the magnificent scope of Superman's Fortress of Solitude reminds me of what Alex Ross did when all the characters went to uh, the fortress in the Justice Maxi series that came out five mm-hmm. or six years ago, mm-hmm. like I said, I didn't have time to pull the book out, but I'm wondering if that wasn't a kind of a quiet homage to these. Because I remember a panel with kind of an upshot of someone shivering in the cold while Superman pulls the key in, and then they, they walk into the fortress, and you see the big ship and the dinosaur and other things. Alex Ross does a lot of those. I could completely see him doing that. I've got no proof of it, yeah. but um, I can completely uh, see him doing that. He's always referencing stuff from other comics when he can. And it could be a complete coincidence, or I could be misremembering, too. But mm-hmm. Although, technically, that would have been a... Uh... Well, it still could have. I think they had a, they had a, he had a penciler that he painted over, I think. Oh, that's right. Well... But it still could have been set up right, that way. It's hard to say. My mind is blanking now. I think you're right. He did have a pencil on it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Now that I should be able to pull up real quick on my my laptop, so I can tell you exactly who that was, because I can't. Doug Braithwaite. That's it, Doug Braithwaite, mm-hmm. whose name is amazing. Not really. It's weird, but. Um, and no, I can't pull it up because for some reason it's not on here. Yay! Um, but yeah, he's the one that was doing the penciling. Now, granted, um, like we were just talking about, it's possible that Alex was like, okay, for this page, we want it to look kind of like this. Right. And he could have drawn it to look like this page, and then Alex painted it. It could even possibly be a page that Brathwaite, uh, Brathwaite, that Doug had um, penciled and Alex may have even just changed it to 
look more like this. Yes. It's hard, there's no telling. Yeah. Since it was mostly Alex's baby. Yeah. So what? What, <laughs> yeah. what was your note on this page? Uh, which page is this? Sixteen. Sixteen. Um, I just loved Ollie's introduction to the fortress. It just looked really cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the, you know, just the way he acts there. The fact that he's cold, and then this big shot here of him going in there, and Superman being like, uh, kind of, almost uncomfortable with the fact that Ali thinks it's so cool mm-hmm. and just being like you know he he would he just couldn't get interested in collecting bottle caps yeah well he only has one bottle and there's a city inside of it so and people yeah people, so yes. mm-hmm. uh, page 17 I really don't like the idea of this Kryptonian continuum disruptor I mean yeah it's a neat comic book idea and science fiction idea but it's cheating and Superman shouldn't cheat so it makes me happy that they got called out on it later in the book. Yes, I can see that. I can also see why they were trying to use it to try to make sure he had enough time. So he had, he kind of had a good reason, but yes, it is also cheating. Page 17. I think it's kind of weird that Superman is learning to f- how to box from the person he's about to box. Maybe. I mean, I could see, like, uh, I could see maybe learning from. I mean, granted, it would pull in someone else, but I could see uh, him learning from George Foreman had a box against Ali. The guy that just lost to. Shh. Okay. But or or Leon Spinks. Um, but to have it just seems kind of weird that if you're gonna fight somebody, you shouldn't be learning how to fight from that person. Because yeah, generally you would think that person would know all your weaknesses before you go into the fight, as was kind of proven here. <laughs> yeah. But it's Ali. Even though he, doesn't, Superman... he doesn't have weaknesses. He's Muhammad Ali. Well, of course. Superman did. That's what, okay. that's what I'm saying. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Also, how do you get a fragment of a red sun? Yeah, because isn't, isn't a fragment of a sun just a smaller sun? Not only that, but most suns are gaseous 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 gassy and therefore they don't have fragments yeah <laughs> to keep in and it's in a lead box <laughs> again it's it's it it's it's almost like a michael bay movie it's one of those that in a lot of cases when you just are reading it without thinking about it too much you can enjoy it yeah exactly but if you start looking at the details, then all of a sudden you start picking out the plot holes and all the other stuff. So. Well, to be fair, that's like 95% of comics published before 1980. So. Well, that's 90% of comics published now, well, too. Well, fair, so. yeah. fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. Page 18, we have a nice page with Ali demonstrating the different boxing maneuvers. It's a little out of place, but it's it's a nice showcase to let Ollie spotlight what he does, just like we had the sequence earlier with Superman stopping the missiles, just less subtle. Uh, plus, they reference the Rumble in the Jungle, which is one of the most classic boxing matches of all time. <laughs> of course. And it's more good artwork of Muhammad Ali that really can't be referenced, except for that last image at the bottom. Mm-hmm. 
I do also like that they seem to have gotten permission to to uh, include the fact that all his equipment is Everlast. You know, when I was doing my notes, I was thinking, I wonder if Everlast got some kind of kickback off of this. Because all through the book, it's Everlast, Everlast, Everlast. Mm-hmm. They're very well. It might. They're very prominent on the cover too. Yeah, it's possible that it's just that they had a deal with Ali, and since Ali was in mm-hmm. here, that it was just included as part of the thing. I mean, granted, it you know they still could have gotten a kickback too, but it might have been, I don't know, like a kickback out of whatever Ali got, or yeah, maybe they didn't even get one they considered. I don't know. Free advertising. What more do you want? Well, yeah. <laughs> They just say, hey, you know what? We'll let you use it since all these in there. We won't sue you. So <laughs> go for uh, it. My next note's not till over to page 22. Oh, I'll keep going. I'm, I'm not till 24. Where we have Muhammad Ali punching a robot. And again, I say, <laughs> how can you not love this book? Mm-hmm. Because if Superman punching robots is awesome, Muhammad Ali punching a robot is awesome times two. Heck and yes. Uh, this is another one of those pages, though, that's not a—it's not exactly an example of Adam's best work, but still really nice and better than buses full of artists past and present. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a few places where it still looks good, but there's a couple places where, like, when Superman's closing up the box, he looks a little off. Mm-hmm. And... I would imagine it got it got confusing with all the lines they had to put on the robots to make them look shiny. <laughs> yeah, uh, but for a two-page spread, it does look like they almost simplified the inking in a few places or whatever. Yeah. Nitpicky comment: Where did Ollie's clothes come from? When they went to the fortress, he was wearing jeans and a tank top, and then he's in his boxing trunks, and now they're leaving, and he's in a turtleneck and pants. Not to mention a s- pair of patent leather white patent leather shoes, which are really styling well obviously Superman's got um, various clo- various modern clothing of various sizes and uh, stuff in his fortress okay I can buy that that's my yeah it's possible <laughs> although I'm surprised that they aren't you know all blue suits with red ties and uh, a pair of glasses but you know yeah. what you gonna do uh, page 25 we're introduced to Hanya Fun. Oh wait a minute! Wait oh, a minute! I got sorry. twenty-four. Twenty-four. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Page twenty-four. They're talking in space. They are talking before they get into the ship. See, I hate it when people point that out because I don't notice it when I read, but now that you pointed it out, I'll never not notice it. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I didn't notice it at first, but then I realized that they're talking to Ratlar, and Ratlar is this microscopic little shadow. Yeah in a window on that one ship and they so they are way out in space and they are already talking to him it's like they put the word balloons like they didn't have enough room for the word balloons once they get into the ship because they don't there's a lot of words there so they put them up here in space and it's just it just kind of I mean if you read through it you probably won't even notice like you said I didn't notice it either at first but um yeah, they're talking in space. And, where did, and having a conversation. Where did Superman get that bubble thing with a seat in it? Does he just have that <laughs> laying around at the fortress? or? Of course. 
You never know when you have to take a human in space. When you have to take the heavyweight champion of the world into space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lois is almost always finding herself in space or something, or <laughs> Jimmy, yeah. Mr. Action. Mr. Action. Or, uh, you know, you never know. And and this way, at least this way, he's got not only a nice seat, but it looks like a footrest. Yes. Uh, moving on to page 25, we're introduced to Hanya. Fun fact, not only is Hanya the character's name in Battle Cry, it's also a sound frequently heard in the Dave David Weeder household when Dave doesn't get enough brand. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, I hope he hears this part of the show because that's hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, he's going to love you for that one. <laughs> uh, this is a, a, a an example, though, of the art looking good, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm still laughing. Okay, <laughs> I don't have a, I didn't have a, a note on this one. How can you follow up that one? But anyway, you can't. Good night, everybody. We're yep. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> See you next week or a couple weeks. All right, and we'll wrap things up there as far as the Superman discussion goes. Mike, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? I have my own Superman podcast, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatcrypton.com. Um, and I also have a blog, uh, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, where I talk all about Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and all the, the wonderful creations they gave us in addition to Superman. And you can find that at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster. Awesome. Um, well, everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back in just two weeks with the rest of the Muhammad Ali story. So we hope to see you then. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.